Hello, everyone. Welcome to Pages of HR. I'm your host, Bianca Heron, lead editor at HR Daily Advisor. This podcast provides insightful conversations about HR-related books with the writers who create them. By the end of these conversations, we hope that you'll have actionable insights for your business, best practices to tap, and new information to ponder. I'm excited about today's episode. I'm joined by Joss Burson, author, global HR research analyst, and CEO of the Joss Burson Company. Today, we're discussing his new book, Irresistible, The Seven Secrets of the World's Most Enduring Employee-Focused Organizations. This HR management book is a leader's handbook for today's unpredictable business world, where people and culture are more important than ever. Irresistible challenges companies to rethink their current approach to organizational design, leadership development, and human resources strategy. Distilled from decades of research and management theory, Josh introduces seven practical management principles that outlines how business leaders can create enduring companies that thrive with improved customer satisfaction, employee retention, as well as business agility. So let's just dive right into it, shall we? Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Bianca. It's my pleasure. I'm looking forward to talking about all this stuff. Absolutely. Thank you. First question here, please tell me, Josh, what inspired you to write this timely book? Well, it may be timely, but it took me seven years to write it. (laughs) (laughs) So it happened to come out at a unique time. I started studying uh, HR and, and management practices 20 some odd years ago. And early in the process, I started to look at the issues of employee engagement and was never satisfied that the engagement conversation was really business oriented enough. It seemed like it was about winning an award or, you know, improving the annual survey. And so what I realized as I was digging into it more and more and more was that employee engagement was the tip of a gigantic iceberg and it had to do with all of the issues that uh, we now call employee experience that affect people at work. And I went through the Glassdoor database for a long time and looked at all the data in there and basically discovered that you could statistically prove that the companies that have higher Glassdoor ratings for multiple years, not for one year, but for a long period of time, outperform financially um, and in other measures. And so I went back and I looked at those companies very carefully. And many of them I knew because of all my HR research. And I went back and I looked at what were they doing. And that eventually became these seven secrets. There's lots of analysis that went into something that sounds like it was written for the pandemic, but it wasn't. (laughs) Uh, It just was already happening beforehand. Yeah. And I think the pandemic... Uh, in some sense, accentuates these issues and makes them even more important. And now that we move to this new you know, era of the economy, um, it applies even more because of the transformation that's going on in so many industries. So, so there's a lot of research and history to this. I love that. And if I may, uh, a quote that I've been uh, seeing, of course, and found in your book as well, uh, thumbing through it, uh, taking my gander, which of course I love, uh, you said that Irresistible companies are also the brands that understand by unleashing the power of the human spirit, their company can go faster and farther than ever expected. Business should not be an effort to force labor to do what managers want, but rather it should be an enterprise to empower people to build organizational success. I love that. 
That's it. Well, you know, and it's, you know, even right now in 2023, when you look at the companies that are having problems, it is always an issue of people. Um, and the point that I like to point out to a lot of HR people is that virtually every business problem is a people problem. The sales, the product, the marketing, the operations, the quality, the innovation, whatever, whatever it is that's bugging you is a manifestation of people issues, skills, alignment, motivation, culture, uh, work-life balance, psychological safety, etc. Those things are the fuel that make companies thrive. And leaders have to be aware of that because we don't work in companies that where the lead, where the employees are labor anymore and they do what they're told all day. Every single employee is adding value all the time. So, um, so that's what these seven principles are really about is, is, is sort of a new management manifesto of how to really create an organization that it, that is irresistible in this fashion. I love that. I love that. And I'm super excited to get into those uh, seven principles. But before we do, uh, you prepare to read an excerpt, correct? Sure. Yeah. You want me to read it? Yes, please. <laughs> You're ready. Okay. Well, okay. So at the end of the book, there is a section called A Final Note on the Pandemic that was actually written later as I finished the book. So I want to read a little bit of that. When the pandemic began, most companies expected to shut down. Retailers, airlines, hospitality companies, and manufacturers let people go. Companies like American Airlines, Sainsbury's, MGM, Verizon imposed massive furloughs. Yet somehow, the economy managed to bounce back. The lesson we learned is what I call the unquenchable power of the human spirit. Individuals, when they're given the right support, will always adapt to change. And this is the irresistible message. When you trust in the energy of your team, empower people to invent and support people with safety, fair pay, trust, and growth, your company will always thrive. The essential lesson of the pandemic is woven throughout this book. If you let your people drive your business forward, you as a manager, leader, or HR professional will experience success. That is what being irresistible is all about. I love that. Thank you for reading that. Sure. And I, I love, uh, just to call out something really quickly here, um, a bit of a sentence that you said, individuals, when given the right support, will always adapt to change. Well, and that's, you know, and that's, a, that's a lesson that I don't think everybody completely understands. There's a lot of fixed mindset thinking in the business community that this person's not right for this job. This person's incapable of doing this. This person's underskilled and they won't be able to learn that. That is really limiting thinking. You create all sorts of bad decisions if you think that way. Most people, not ever under the right conditions, can adapt and learn to do amazing things. I'll tell you one another story that just reminded me of this. I live in Oakland, California, so it's a you know very heterogeneous community. And last Christmas, I went to visit some homeless shelters and serve them food and met a lot of homeless people. And, you know, the general feeling of homeless people is, you know, they're probably drug addicts or, you know, physically sick or mentally ill or whatever. And I didn't experience that at all. What I found this was, is these are people that for some reason cannot afford, afford a place to live. They're living the best they can. 
they are perfectly capable of taking care of themselves with the support that people need to give them and they are going to turn their lives around and so that's obviously an extreme case but everybody in your company is just like that <laughs> and if you believe in that growth mindset you just amazing how the company can respond to change or competitive threats or even financial problems absolutely Absolutely. Now, um, the seven principles uh, detailed in the book, they're designed for remote and hybrid work, and they reflect the need for diversity, purpose, and belonging, all with the goal of higher performance at work. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to go through each seven. Yeah, and sure. So principle one, teams, not hierarchies. The old top-down org charts must go. Can you elucidate there, please? Yeah, I mean, that's really the fundamental idea that underlies a lot of the book, which is that the structure of companies was really designed, believe it or not, Bianca, this may shock you, around slavery. You read books on slavery and how slave owners decided to, to run their slave plantations. They were basically industrial hierarchies. And that got modeled into the railroads and then the auto industry and the steel industry and the manufacturing industry all the way up to General Electric. And when I started as an analyst in the early 2000s, every company wanted to copy GE with rigid hierarchies and lots of business units and managers telling people what to do and hierarchies that go down and down and down and down and very little empowerment of individuals in that organization. That simply no longer works. Those companies can't move fast enough, they can't adapt fast enough, and they have cultural issues and management issues that keep them from adapting because today, if you're not adapting fast, you're falling behind. So, so that's number, that's chapter one is, is really explaining, you know, these new models of agile management and flatter organizations and people working in teams, not hierarchies and really, you know, nailing that because the rest of the book in some sense is built around that foundation. Awesome there. And principle two, work, not jobs. Stop focusing on credentials and degrees. Start fitting work to your people. Yeah. So going back to the other point, you know, in the old model of work, which is, by the way, the model I grew up in when I was young, the job was you fit into the job. So there was a job and you applied for the job and you did what the job told you to do. And the manager or the supervisor made sure you did the things that were in the job. And as we know now today, um, most jobs are very different than what is written down in the job description. They change a lot. There's new technology. The company changes. And we want the people to add value to the job in their own way. So we want to do what's called job crafting, which is the job becomes the person. The person doesn't become the job. Plus, in most companies, um, you do more than one thing. You have a job but you're also working on a project. You're also working on a cross-functional assignment. You're working on a, on a special project over here. So we need a model where individuals are able to work on more than one thing and they aren't assigned to and affiliated with this job. And of course, this issue of, oh, if you don't have a college degree, you can't do this job. If you didn't go to Stanford, you can't do this job. If you're not one of these people that we know, you can't have this. All of that is getting decomposed and thrown away. So um, companies are basically becoming more and more like professional services organizations. And this is in every industry, not just in the services industry. 
Absolutely. And I, I think uh, moving ahead to principle three here, it's definitely on par with uh, what I'm seeing on my end uh, with this trend of coaching and mentoring uh, uh, in the industry right now. Uh, so principle three, coach, not boss. Get out from behind the desk and power don't order. Exactly. Well, you know, my first job coming out of more my second really job, but my first one too, I mean, I had a boss and the boss told me what to do and I was fairly young and I didn't know any better. So I just did whatever I was told. Um, but as I grew a little older and a little more mature, it was very, very frustrating to be boxed in like that. And so what great leaders do today, especially given the amount of education and tools that young people have, is they show people how to get around and they teach them how the company works and they give them you know, clarity of mission and purpose and goals. And then they let people do the work and they coach them. And so this idea of a boss needs to be replaced by a coach. And I think the quote that, that to me nails it the best, and I think it's in the book, it's from W.L. Gore, um, managers manage projects, people manage themselves. And the idea here is that if you create a great organization and people know what they're responsible for, they don't really need to be micromanaged that much. They might need help and they might need support and they might need training and they might need education and availability, visibility into other things. But the minute by minute, hour by hour boss idea, it doesn't even work in, in retail and manufacturing, frankly. Um, so, so that's what that chapter is all about. Absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, uh, with this next principle, principle four, uh, culture has gone out the window uh, since the onset of the pandemic uh, and a lot of reshaping here. So principle four, culture, not rules. The new CEO mantra, respect, flexibility, and fairness. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the word culture is a very vague word and a lot of people define it in different ways, but um, you know, one of the things we've learned in some research we just did recently is what behaviors are rewarded and what behaviors are penalized in the company. Those are things that you can observe. They're usually not written down. Some companies are all about sales. Some companies are all about profit. Some companies are all about innovation. Some companies are all about customer service or brand or whatever it may be. And those uh, sort of cultural behaviors are embodied usually in the company's mission or purpose. Yeah. And those become the rules. So no matter how much you might try to enforce the rules with a rule book, if people aren't behaving that way, they're not going to follow the rules. So a lot of what the role of leaders is at all levels, including everyone really is a leader, is setting a good example being fair. I mean, how, would you like to work for a company where somebody's making 10 times more money than you and there's no reason for that? Of course not. But there's a lot of companies where that happens a lot, happens all the time. That is a, um, a cultural mismatch. So a lot of what that chapter is about is identifying the cultural um, you know, ground, grounding that you have in your company and making it clear and making it transparent so people can live by it. I love that. I love that. Thank you for that, Josh. Uh, principle five here, growth, not promotion. Make growth part of every activity at work. Yeah, I mean, this is a pretty simple idea. And that is that every human being from the minute we're born is a learning animal, right? I mean, the first thing we learn is how to drink out of our bottle and how to talk and how to walk and how to go to school and how to read and all and all and all. So, so our brains are wired for learning. 
if your learning is focused on promotion and the only reason people learn anything is to get up to the next level in the company, you're going to limit the opportunity to learn. Because what most learning research shows is that what makes people really expert or mastery of whatever their job is, is a lot of different types of learning, horizontal and diagonal and um, multifunctional and multi or multimodal learning. And if the company isn't a learning organization at its core, then people are going to just only take training to get promoted. And, you know, many times I remember this distinctly, a very large tech company that everybody knows told me, we can't get anybody to take any developmental assignments or to do any developmental projects unless they're going to get promoted. And the CHO told me that. And she said, and we have 42 levels of promotion in this company. And she said, it's just wrecked the company. So we're going to reduce the number of levels. We're going to tell people, you're going to take new assignments and you may not get promoted. In fact, Microsoft has this new strategy that your development is not vertical, it's horizontal. You need to do multiple things at Microsoft, then you will be promoted later. But before you even think about that, think about taking a job in engineering, think about taking a job in sales, think about taking a job in customer service. Maybe you should take a job in HR. Get to know how this place works and that will qualify you for greater levels of responsibility. And that's um, this whole idea of growth first, promotion later. Principle six, purpose, not profits. Companies are built for purpose. Profits, excuse me, are what happen when you do that right and consistently. Bianca, you're doing a great job of summarizing these, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So this is one that I really believe in, and I use it in our company all the time, and I see it slip away in many, many companies. So most companies and organizations were founded by some person or some team that had a purpose. There was some problem they were trying to solve, and it was something big enough and unique enough that it got them off the ground and it made their company grow. And as they grew, they got deeper and deeper into that problem and they developed more and more expertise at solving it. But then they realized that, you know, maybe they had investors or maybe they went public or maybe they had a lot of customers and they said, well, revenue and profit and revenue and profit and growth and and profit and productivity. And they forgot what they were here to do. Now, that happens all the time because companies go in multiple directions. They have multiple products. But when they lose sight of their core um, purpose, um, simply trying to make money is really a declining benefit. It's, it's harder and harder over time because the reason people are buying from you, the reason they're spending money on your product or your service is because you're doing something unique that they couldn't get somewhere else. And that is because of your purpose. So as soon as you lose your purpose, you have a tendency to become sort of an average company doing a whole bunch of things. I mean, even Google right now, which is at the per- current point in time, is, is sort of slowed down a little bit. People question whether they're really clear on their purpose anymore. I mean, if you look at Microsoft, I talked about Microsoft in the book. Microsoft lost their purpose for quite a while when they were just sort of into world domination of tech. They're back to their purpose again, which is empowering people to do more in everyday lives. Target, Ikea, Johnson & Johnson, these big, iconic, enduring companies, they have a bigger purpose and they stick with it and they refine it and they expand it, but they always know what it is. And then it not only keeps 
their business decisions aligned, but it really motivates the employees and it makes sure that the people who come to work there really want to be there for more than just making a paycheck. And, and that, you know, is, is worth a huge amount of money just in productivity and growth. Absolutely. They know who they are at the end of the end of the right. day. Excuse me. Right. I love that. I love that. Uh, and the final principle here, uh, Josh, principle seven, employee in spirit experience, excuse me, not output employees first, everything else comes second. I mean, I remember there's a lot of thoughts here. The first, of course, is that if you're a CEO or a CFO and you're worried about your investors or you're worried about your customers, and then you sort of think your employees are sort of a means to an end, you know, let's just get the employees to work harder to take care of our customers. That's kind of backwards. The employees are the most vested stakeholders you have. Customers can change. They can switch to another product. Investors can sell their shares. Employees have voted to work for your company with their lives, with their livelihoods. And they are the ones that create the products and services and experiences that your customers buy. So they certainly are the highest priority. The second thing on employee experience is if you look at the relationship between productivity and engagement and happiness, productivity creates engagement, not the other way around. So we don't have to sit around and give employees more benefits and more money and more free time and more, you know, free food or whatever it may be. Those are nice. But what we have to do is make their employee experience productive so they can do their jobs well, and then they will be happy and proud of their work. And that in turn will create better engagement and better productivity. So employee experience, which is a relatively new concept, is a very, very big CEO level issue. And the symptoms, of course, of poor employee experience are high turnover, low productivity. People don't want to work for your company anymore. Bad articles in the press, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that includes diversity, inclusion, belonging, and all those things. Absolutely. Absolutely. Of course, something I think we're seeing a lot with the great retention, too, that still hasn't slowed down a bit either. Well, now it's flexibility. Now, now, now the thing that you know companies are surprised at is employees will leave a company if they don't feel it's flexible enough for them to fit into their lives. So that employee experience, you know, list of things keeps growing. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, two years uh, been, been in the house uh, and now it's like, hey, I can work from anywhere and there are remote options all over the world. You know, I'd rather be a digital nomad than be in someone's office. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for expounding on those seven, seven principles, Josh. Uh, and to our listeners, do not be overwhelmed at all. Uh, it's a great breakdown in the book. And of course, Irresistible also includes, excuse me, excitement, uh, implementation tips and discussion questions. So uh, you or your management team, you can immediately start applying these best practices. So Josh, is there anything that you'd like to add? Maybe get an example about one of those implementation tips? Yeah, I think the thing I would add is around, the, around what you just said. You know, you look at the book and you read the seven things and they're kind of pithy, simple phrases. And you think, I'm just going to read the table of contents and I'm done. I don't need to read the book. But actually, no. Every one of those seven things is actually quite complex. So rather than read the book and say, okay, I understand this, I think people should take the book into the office, get a group of people together, share it together, read it together, and talk about each one of these things, whichever one interests you the most, because each one of them is complex. 
and the way you implement them in your company is going to be unique to you. So having done this for so long, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of examples in that book. And so um, I would encourage people to look at this in some sense as an educational book, not just an inspirational book um, and a tool for you know, helping make your organization, your team, your company more effective. Josh, I've got one more question for you, my final question. But before I ask that, is there anything else that you'd like to add or talk about? Well, I mean, only that, you know, this is a timeless book. It's not about the pandemic. It's not about digital transformation. These are um, lessons that I've learned in 45 years of business, 20 years of which I wasn't in HR at all, uh, 25 years of which I was an analyst. So I think it will be a useful book for HR practitioners and managers and business leaders, regardless of what particular issue you're dealing with today. <laughs> Absolutely. An evergreen book. I yeah. love that. I love that. Okay, Josh, my final question for you. It's my million dollar question here. Are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> I promise it's not scary at all. Josh, tell me, what does your next chapter look like? For me, you know, the thing that I find myself doing more and more thinking about, obviously, I love thinking about the economy and, and you know, organizations and best practices and all that, but really educating the HR profession. The profession that I'm mostly affiliated with is HR people, and, and I love and adore being part of that profession. It's a 25 million people around the world working on incredibly complicated things in companies of all sizes. And um, the next big thing for us is to really spend more time on our academy, our professional development, our membership program, all the things we can do to help everybody who tries to do this learn how to do it better and better. And that's, that's kind of where I am at this stage of my life. And then I just had a grandchild. So that's my other next big thing. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Uh, and of course, I don't have any children or grandkids now, but I hear it's amazing. I love my grandparents. It's it's oh. a pretty big deal. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, this has been an amazing conversation, Josh, and I truly appreciate your time. Well, thank you. It was a great interview. Thanks a million. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter at HR Pages. And of course, we're also available on iTunes, Spotify, and Amazon Audible. Again, I'm Bianca Heron. Join us next time when we turn the page.